You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So yes, my name's Rob. I'm part of the leadership team here at uh, Oasis as well. Um, And it's good to be able to share with you this morning. So what if? What if the world could be different? So the past 18 months have seen some amazing examples, haven't they, of of care and kindness, of courage and determination, ordinary people making a difference. But then we hear stories of those who are behaving selfishly. We hear about politicians apparently lining their pockets, and somehow that becomes the dominant narrative. We can lose that sense of hope. Hope is a fragile thing, isn't it, which easily gets swept away, easily gives way to despair and cynicism. But what if the world could be different? What if we could hold on to that impulse for kindness so that that becomes the dominant narrative? What if the leaders of the world stepped up to the plate and took the climate emergency seriously? What if we found ways of doing economics which resulted in a fairer distribution of wealth? What if the rising tide of fear and hatred was pushed back? And what if we could be different, you and I, What if we could learn to love ourselves so that we're not acting out of fear and insecurity, but with open hearts and minds? What if we could hold on to hope for ourselves, our communities, our world? And what if we could seize the opportunity that the pandemic has given us and find new ways of doing church? What if we could find new ways of reading the Bible which honour the story that it tells What if we could find new ways of understanding the God who is revealed to us in Jesus? The capacity to learn, to grow in our understanding is fundamental to who we are as human beings. It's essential for our survival. We're not going to get anywhere in life. Nisha won't grow and thrive if he can't learn and understand and develop and change. It's essential for life, isn't it? So why should our, our faith be any different? that need to keep growing, to keep learning, to keep developing. Isaac Newton said, if I have seen further, it is because I have stood on the shoulders of giants. And as we seek to recast our faith, we want to see further, we want to see better. But in doing so, we recognize that we stand on the shoulders of giants. We acknowledge the traditions that we build on, those who've gone before us. We don't simply sweep all of that away. But it seems to me that we must continue to try and understand better, to see further, to see more clearly. And so, as you've heard already over the coming weeks, we're going to be asking this question, what if, uh, provoked by the stories of Jesus that we find in Mark's Gospel. And as we do so, I hope that we'll be challenged and inspired uh, to think big and to think differently about our world, about our faith, and about ourselves. So, what if we could be different? If you read uh, the opening chapter of Mark's Gospel, and I'd recommend that you do, go away and, as a bit of homework if you like, go away and read that opening chapter of Mark's Gospel. There's a lot in there. One of the things that, that I think is immediately apparent is that this is a story for those on the margins. 
for those who've been told and have probably come to believe that there's no place for them except in the company of other misfits. The setting is significant as the kingdom of God is announced and enacted not in Jerusalem, which was the center of power, but in Galilee, right out on the edge. In Israel, the north-south divide was very real and nobody was talking about leveling up. Galilee was virtually a foreign country. This is where it all begins. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. We see Jesus calling those who will become his closest allies, ordinary working men, a bit rough and ready, expecting to live out their days as fishermen. Jesus calls them to be his closest companions. And then as the story continues in that opening chapter, we meet some of the characters that Jesus engages with. A man with an evil spirit in the synagogue in Capernaum. A leper, the unnamed multitudes who come for help and healing. And many of these people would have been labeled sinners by the religious elites. Not because there was some sort of moral issue, not because they were morally suspect, but just because they didn't fit in. They didn't believe what the elites believed. They didn't act in the right ways. They were outsiders. And so when Jesus performs his acts of healing and exorcism, he's not just bringing health to broken bodies and minds. He's dismantling the walls which kept people out. He's tearing up the labels that people have been forced to wear, usually through no fault of their own. Jesus' miracles were socially disruptive. And so from the outset, Jesus announces in word and deed the radical truth that all are accepted and welcome in God's kingdom. Mark's gospel has sometimes been described by scholars as a passion narrative with an extended introduction. In other words, it's the death of Jesus which dominates the story, both in terms of the word count, but also as a shadow hanging over the narrative. And certainly from chapter 8 onwards, everything is heading towards Jerusalem and, and the events that will happen there. And the dominant interpretation of this has been that Jesus came to die, that his life was somehow incidental to or merely a preparation for his death, that his death was necessary because it was the only way in which we could find acceptance with God. But it seems to me that this turns the story on its head. It puts the cart before the horse because from the outset, Jesus announces and embodies acceptance and grace. It doesn't come after. It doesn't follow on from anything else. It comes first. seems to me that the cross is important, and it is important, because it demonstrates how true this is. Because in the end, this is what gets Jesus crucified. These socially disruptive miracles that he performs, this, this tearing down of walls, this is what gets Jesus crucified. It's that radical message of acceptance. The cross is important because it shows us how far God is willing to go to stand with us, to fling wide the doors, and to welcome us in. And it seems to me that understanding this, that we are acceptable to God simply by virtue of the fact that we live and breathe, 
is the key to transformation and growth. If we can really grasp the truth that we don't need to make ourselves acceptable to God, perhaps we can begin to love ourselves and let go of the need to prove ourselves to others. And from there, real change is possible. I suspect many of us know this up here, but do we know in here? Do we really believe that it's true? Can I believe that this is true for me? I can see that it might be true for this person or that, but is it true for me? It needs to get from here to here. We need to really grab hold of that truth. And it seems to me that you can't read any of the Gospels and miss that point. It's there. It's woven through. And so change is possible. We can be different if we really grasp that truth that we don't need to make ourselves acceptable to God. Real change becomes possible. So what if we could be different? And what if the world could be different? You may have seen this, uh, this picture. This is uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, at the Hungarian Grand Prix recently. Uh, he made a very deliberate statement. He chose to wear um, the shirt and the mask, the rainbow uh, shirt and mask, with that slogan of same love. And he did that very deliberately because Hungary is currently uh, under a very right-wing government and currently, I think, going through parliament uh, in, in Hungary is the same sort of Section 28 legislation that was enacted here 20, 30 years ago, banning the promotion of homosexuality as a valid way of life. So Vettel chooses at that moment to make a stand and to say, I don't agree. Lots of people responded uh, very positively to what he'd done. But there were some who said, this isn't right. Politics and sport don't mix. We should keep these things separate. That's a very Western, modern worldview. This compartmentalization of things, where we keep things separate. Most of the world doesn't think in that way. And that's certainly not a biblical worldview. Jesus and his contemporaries wouldn't have understood that way of thinking because everything is connected. How can you separate out politics and sport and religion and whatever other aspect of life? Everything is connected. And yet somehow we've, we've kind of taken on board this idea that, that our faith is a, some sort of private affair. It's about me and God and it's a very separate from the rest of life. That's not the biblical view of things. And Jesus' life and ministry were deeply political. You don't get crucified for preaching a private spirituality. It was deeply political, socially disruptive, because everything is connected. And as we've already seen, a key part of that message was this, this message of same love. Everyone is welcome. Come as you are those themes. And we can't avoid that if we're to read the Gospels and take them seriously. And when we come to this phrase, the kingdom of God, it's not a, a phrase that you can find very readily in the Old Testament. It doesn't really appear there, although there are lots of references to God as king. But the phrase, the kingdom of God, was a popular phrase in the time of Jesus, in first century Palestine. It was adopted by many of the, the revolutionary groups 
and movements who were prepared to see blood spilled, to see Israel liberated. They all proclaimed in one way or another that they were, they were, uh, they were bringing in the kingdom of God. And if that needed to be through violent revolution, then so be it. One of the suggestions is that Mark's gospel was written, that Mark wrote his gospel for Christian communities in Palestine, precisely to say to them, don't get drawn in to this way of thinking. The kingdom of God is not about that. The kingdom of God is different. And Jesus is constantly redefining what the kingdom of God is about and how it might be realized. But he never narrows the scope down. It never becomes just about me and God. How do I get to heaven? In fact, he, uh, he, when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the scope broadens out. It reaches out beyond that narrow nationalism that all those other groups were, were committed to. It's broad and it's expansive. And when Jesus announces the kingdom of God, he's issuing a challenge to the powers that be to the Romans, of course, but also to the religious powers that be, to those who held power in Jerusalem, but also in the rest of the country, through the scribes and the Pharisees, this kind of network of, of people who saw themselves as the arbiters of, of truth, those who carried God's kingdom. And we see Jesus coming up against this again and again as these people sought to impose their vision of the future on the people. We see that in the synagogue in Capernaum, the first conflict between Jesus and these people over what's doable, what's allowable on the Sabbath. And we see this challenge and this scope in the opening verses of Mark's Gospel. As he quotes from, although it's, it says that it's written in Isaiah the prophet, it's really a quote from the book of Malachi as well as the book of uh, Isaiah. So the first part is from the book of Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. And when the New Testament writers quote from the Old Testament, they're not just trying to find texts that match. Mark wasn't just going through his concordance trying to find verses that talked about deserts to talk about John the Baptist. They're invoking the whole story the whole text. And so when Mark quotes here from the book of Malachi, he's invoking that whole prophecy, which as I'm sure you know, having read it recently, perhaps, Malachi is an attack on religious incompetence and corruption. It's an attack on those who are leading the people of God up a blind alley. Sent the, the, the religious elite centered in Jerusalem it's a prophetic challenge to those people. And so Mark is saying that from the outset, this is what Jesus is about. This is no quiet, nice, private spirituality. This is revolution, but it's not the violent revolution that the other groups were, were promoting. This is something different, but it is revolution. This is disruptive. And we can see that, as I say, in that first encounter in the synagogue, as Jesus has his first set to with the Pharisees. And then the second part is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40. Voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And again, the whole text is being invoked. It's that amazing passage of scripture where God is saying to his people, you've done your time. 
You've suffered. You've served the penalty. And now it's time for liberation. And if God is liberating his people, that means that God's purposes for the whole of creation, for all the nations, are being re-energized. God's purpose was always to bless all the peoples of the earth through his people. So all of that is being re-energized and invoked in these words. So Jesus came to challenge the powers that be. And the kingdom of God is always going to represent that kind of challenge. The kingdom of God invites us to imagine a different world, to dream big dreams, to be undaunted by the prevailing wisdom and power structures, to believe that things could be different. So what if the world could be different? I realize that some of you may be thinking, yeah, this is great, it's fantastic, big ideas, we like big ideas, they inspire us. Some of you may be thinking, this all sounds a bit grand, this all sounds a bit ambitious, I'm not really into changing the world, I'm just little old me, I don't have any great influence, I don't really want to change the world if I'm honest. How many of us would say that, if we're honest? That's okay, maybe the language is too grand for some of us. But the reality is that we all shape the world around us, for good or bad, whether we want to or not. It's a fact. So the question is not whether we change the world, but how. How are we changing the world? How is it working out in our lives, in our communities, in our homes, in our workplaces? And hopefully this series will provide us with some ideas and insights into that so that we can see more of the kingdom of God in our lives, in our communities, and beyond. But maybe, <clears throat> maybe this, this whole series, this, this, kind of, uh, this thing that we're doing, maybe above all, it's about nurturing and, and maybe rediscovering hope, which has taken a bit of a battering, hasn't it, in recent times? Not just because of COVID and everything else, but in so many ways. It, as I say, hope is a fragile thing. It's so easy to fall back into despair and cynicism. And maybe if there's nothing else that comes out of these next few weeks, if we can have a little bit more hope, a little bit more sense that things can be different, that we can be different, then we'll have done our job, I think. So as we ask, what if, may we find renewed faith in God, in one another, and in ourselves. May we dream dreams, see visions, and have the courage to pursue those things. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.